George, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate the time and coming on our little show here. I think most of the world knows you as the founder of Men's Warehouse and for your very famous TV commercials. But as I dug into the story, you're quite the cannabis activist. For some years, you've been a donor, an activist, now an investor. I think the big question here is, why do you care about cannabis? Well, I have a very personal uh, relationship with it. It goes back to uh, college. I did not uh, use uh, marijuana or alcohol or cigarettes in high school. But in college, in the 60s, I was exposed to marijuana. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I developed a a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And so around 1980, I quit drinking alcohol. Now, that's a long time ago. And then I quit smoking cigarettes in the 90s. And so really, marijuana is a a form of harm reduction for me. I've taken two uh, uh, somewhat toxic substances, eliminated them entirely, and replaced them with moderate uh, uh, benign cannabis use. Yeah, no, very well said. And I think that's a, it's also a great replacement for the opioids that are sort of you know, I don't know about that, but, you know, it, it probably would work for anything because all all cannabis is is uh, like having a beer or a glass of wine. It's a, a, a slight uh, uh, inhibition on your uh, uh, instincts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as an activist, how do you kind of feel about where we are today? We've come a long way in the cannabis industry. Um. Yeah, I actually would say that the victory in 96 on medical marijuana in the state of California felt more uh, exhilarating than last uh, elections. uh, In 64. uh, Yeah. And not that they're not both great, but I think the bigger breakthrough was when we began the de-demonization in 96, because at that time, Uh, People still actually believed in reefer madness and Mm. things of that ilk. And so I think what's happened now is is that enough time has gone by and people have seen that the the results that were uh, uh, predicted to uh, uh, be the downfall of modern society never materialized. And in fact, many of the results are just the opposite. So I think this is a a trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, a possible snag in the trend, wrench in the plan, is Trump and Sessions and the new administration. Are you afraid of what that means for cannabis? Well, no, I'm not afraid of it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly aware of it, and I would say I'm concerned because I think uh, uh, the Attorney General uh, uh, nominee will have two choices to make. Either he will allow the states to go about their their way and do what they want, or he will choose to use the power of the federal government to uh, suppress and repress the movement. My view is, is that what would be consistent with Sessions' ideology is states' rights, and this would be an area that he would leave it up to the states. Having said that, uh, uh, he, he might decide for political purposes 
that uh, they wanted to do something about this in the way of uh, opposing it. Uh, if he chose that, I think that would be a big mistake because I think there would be tremendous pushback against any sort of federal intervention like that mm -hmm. since it is now in about half the states. So I, I think that uh, what's likely going to happen is that President Trump, who's more of a pragmatist than he is an ideologue, will uh, recognize that this may be a way to uh, win some new supporters. Well, Trump cares a lot about money, right? And cannabis is a tremendous revenue driver. I kind of expect that they might rattle the cage a bit um, and maybe scare a few people, but I don't expect there to be big changes. Well, the biggest uh, economic impact that I'm aware of is uh, that the IRS uh, has this odd way of taxing people in the cannabis industry where they disallow normal business expenses, only allow the direct cost of the product sure. as a deduction. And what that does in effect is it transfers money from city and state governments to the IRS. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's really what's happening. Interesting take, yeah. So, uh, you know, I could see the uh, Trump saying, I don't want that money out of the federal treasury. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not particularly concerned about it. So, yeah, 280E, which is the law that you're referring to about not being able to write off your business expenses federally, it's a major concern for people looking to put money into the industry, right? As, That's right. As, as an investor, uh, and we first were introduced through Debbie Goldsberry and your investment in, in Magnolia of Oakland, the dispensary. Uh, as an investor, how nervous does that make you? I mean, that's a big chunk. In some cases, it can be like 30%, right? Well, you know, most normal investors uh, look at everything with a time quotient. Mm. And I don't. I've always looked at, you know, my uh, earlier career spanned 40 years. And in my new business, I'm in no hurry to monetize it. I kind of uh, uh, I don't really see retirement and uh, uh, making money quickly as, as one of my objectives. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's inevitable that this will become a mainstream business. Sooner would be better than later but later would be better than the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you did the Magnolia investment. Anything else that you're looking at? I mean, you actively looking for, for cannabis deals? No, and Magnolia was not an investment as much as it was a, uh, a loan, a bond. So I'm not actually an equity uh, partner there. That's a convertible but, uh, note, right? Uh, no, it's not convertible. No? Okay. It's, uh, uh, it, it's just an investment. Uh, now, they may want to convert it, which I may not object to, but it's not a convertible note because I really didn't want to make a, 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 an investment in, in the equity. I wanted it to just be uh, uh, as, as a loan until uh, we passed the initiative in uh, November. Okay. Now I'm not afraid of investments, uh, and I am looking at different things, and I'm going to be in Portland a week from today speaking at that conference about oh, cool. uh, cannabis investing. And yeah, I think it's a, a great uh, ground floor opportunity for smart people who uh, are entrepreneurial. 
What was it about Magnolia specifically? I mean, there's a lot of dispensaries in the Bay Area. Why, why Magnolia? Well, it's uh, Oakland-based, and uh, I had been uh, friends with Richard Lee, and we all know what happened to his uh, Oakland endeavors. Yep. And uh, Debbie has been a friend of mine since the medical marijuana era, as have uh, Ed Rosenthal. And so uh, uh, I, I just think that this is as much a community activity as donating to the Oakland Zoo. Mm, mm. And it kind of speaks to your interest in cannabis. You, you have such a personal connection to it that you feel the need to almost give back to the community. Is that, is that a way that you look at it? Well, I, I think that uh, um, certainly uh, uh, in the rest of my life, I would like to see cannabis become mainstream where people have the choice of becoming cigarette smokers, uh, hard alcohol drinkers, beer and wine drinkers, or users of cannabis. Mm -hmm. So I, I would like to see it. I mean, we've, we've made nice progress but there are still an awful lot of Americans who think it's the devil's weed. Sure. Yeah, I think we, we tend to insulate ourselves in this bubble of the Bay Area or California. We, we don't realize that in so many parts of the world, let alone the country, it's still highly stigmatized, right? Well, this was all part of uh, uh, the uh, process of demonizing marijuana that goes back uh, a century, uh, certainly to the 1937 marijuana uh, tax Act and uh, Nancy Reagan's war on drugs and the president's uh, uh, linking uh, drug efforts with uh, foreign trade uh, created an, an international stigma. Mm -hmm. Back to kind of investing for a second here. We're in the Gateway Incubator here. This is full of young entrepreneurs all in the cannabis industry that are looking for their first check in the world. Um, are there segments of the industry, parts of the cannabis industry that interest you more than others? What are you looking at? You know, I, I, one of the things I recognize in business is that uh, I'm in the uh, forefront of the baby boomer generation and the world is now becoming about millennials. So I try to recognize that my own personal uh, habits and preferences may not reflect anything other than my own. Sure. And uh, so I, I try to separate that. For instance, I am not a big fan of edibles, mm. yet I know that edibles have become a very so, significant yeah. part of, of the market. Um, it's not up to me to, to determine what other people should like or not like, um, but you know, I can see the market beginning to evolve uh, away from the more traditional ways of consuming cannabis and into these more exotic ways. It's all Just, concentrates and edibles and non-smokable, things like that. It, 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 it doesn't seem that different as uh, the way pro basketball games uh, uh, moved from being just about the basketball to being as much about showtime mm. and the fire displays that go off Entertainment before the Entertainment value. That's yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. What don't you like about edibles? It's hard to titrate compared to uh, uh, smoking it. It just, you have to take a chance and be sure about the dosage and just doesn't seem to be, 
One of the advantages of marijuana over alcohol, as an example, is that alcohol takes uh, uh, 20 to 30 minutes to work its way through your system. So you can easily consume uh, several drinks wondering when it's going to take effect sure. and then be surprised with this uh, wallop that you get. Whereas with uh, smoking, you don't get that effect. And with, with edibles, uh, I have had that happen to me. Yeah, no, I think everybody has had that experience where you know, you're not sure exactly how it's going to affect you, and I can't handle the anticipation largely. Uh, Low-dose edibles are okay, maybe if you're going to go to bed or something, but yeah, I much prefer kind of the classic flowers. I, I always thought they were great for concerts mm. where, you know, you, you couldn't really smoke. I remember back in the 60s, you know, smoking at concerts, but as I got more uh, uh, notoriety from television, I had to stop uh, ah. smoking at concerts because I would get <laughs> uh, nasty messages on uh, on my uh, email. The downsides of fame, I suppose. Um, let's talk about your fame for a second here, uh, and and men's just for for a few minutes. Uh, it's kind of a classic Steve Jobs story. I was thinking about it earlier today. You had a disagreement with the board, namely over Joseph a., Joseph A. Bank and the purchase there. And then they decided to fire you and do what they wanted anyway. And since the company's kind of taken a dump. Yeah, well, it wasn't actually a, a, a over the Joseph Bank acquisition. Okay. That occurred four months after uh, I was let go, and that was not a subject of, of, of discussion. Okay. Uh, so it was, uh, I think, more uh, more nefarious than, than, than something that would be that obvious. Uh, I just think that uh, uh, I was always a proponent of stakeholder capitalism where the employees, the customers, uh, the communities, the suppliers, as well as the shareholders uh, are, 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 are directly relating to how the company conducts its business, not just the outcomes. And uh, uh, the board of directors, New York, stock exchange public company wanted a uh, shareholder CEO, somebody who only was concerned about maximizing shareholder value. So over a long period of time, uh, they just decided that uh, uh, I was not the direction they wanted and you know it also helped protect their uh, income streams. I mean, it's a little bit of karma given what's happened to them of late. I totally. Mean, how badly do you want to say I told you so? Uh, I Very badly I want to say that, but I won't say it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's great vindication. And because I was uh, already uh, wealthy enough, it wasn't a financial uh, uh, sacrifice. And so it, it really is great vindication to see and I told them when they got rid of me I, I said you know you guys I had brought them all in so they were all in a sense I wouldn't call them my protégés but mm -hmm. they were all people that you hired uh, them you trained them yeah and they knew what they knew about the clothing business from uh, men's warehouse and I said to them uh, we were sitting in a room of about 10 or 12 people and I said, did any of you call the stores? 
And I knew the answer would be, well, the, the, screw the stores. We're the board of directors. We don't, we don't worry about people in the stores, and that's what I worried about all right. the time with the stores. So, of course, they said no. And I said, well, look, 350 days a year, you guys are going to be just fine. You've been around me for 20 years. You're going to know how to run this company. Yeah. Doug's going to do a, a good job. But there are going to be 15 days a year that you're not exactly sure what to do. And, and that's what, what you pay somebody like me for. And good luck to you. <laughs> uh, they, they, you know, they're now, I don't know if they even remember that I said that because, you know, it just takes one really bad decision to destroy a company uh, like Specifically the, one decision, right? <laughs> well, yeah, well that was a, just a horrible decision because I had tried to buy that company uh, 20 years earlier for, okay. uh, I, I had offered 50 and they wanted 75 million. So for the company to have bought them for 1.8 billion on borrowed money was somewhat extreme, but you know, in business, uh, the idea of borrowing money in business is not as stupid as the average person probably thinks because the interest is tax deductible to the company. So there's this perverse incentive for companies to borrow money like this. And in fact, one of the reasons Wall Street was not particularly a fan of George Zimmer was because I ran a debt-free business. Mm. And they thought that was uh, unsophisticated. Got it. Got it. Very, very interesting. Thanks for the, the background there. Aside from kind of the business dealings and what you would have done differently, do you miss just going to work there every day? You know, the people and the, the company that you built? Uh, you know, I think I did at the beginning, but I've been doing my new business now for close to three years. Yeah. So it's a full-time thing, and you know I work uh, in the same industry. I mean, you know, Men's Warehouse, we created Tuxedo Rental. Sure. Today, Men's Warehouse rents almost four million tuxedos a year, wow. generates almost $500 million wow. of revenue a year. So I just have this startup, you know, incubator business in this space. Yep. Uh, but I know since I've done this before that unlike most startups where you're never quite sure what the future might hold, here I have a sense that this could become quite significant. I like to say that I'll, uh, I'd love to be in the rental business without being encumbered by 1,500 men's clothing stores. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit more. I mean, look, you've been to the top of the business mountain here. Uh, why start another company? Why, why start over again? Well, you know, I have not understood this uh, general fascination people have had with working to age 65 and then retiring. Hmm. I never thought that made any sense. I always thought that you ought to have a, a work career like a bell curve where when you're a teenager, you're working and you know, you may be at your 20% efficiency. And as you get older, you start to get closer to 100%. When you're 40 or 50, you're at 100%. But then, you know, you don't, uh, just because you don't have the energy of your youth, you have 
experience and wisdom. Sure. So you should be able to continue to work uh, without putting in uh, 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, but making a contribution commensurate with your age. And there's no end. Uh, when I ran men's, I, I remember we had a salesman up in Seattle who was 84 years old and sold in 20 hours a week $200,000 a year, which is uh, uh, considered quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the guy wanted to uh, uh, keep his, uh, uh, his hand in the game and didn't want to just go from being a uh, clothing salesman to being a... Uh, 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 somebody who tried to play at golf mm -hmm. unsuccessfully. Got it. Uh, I love golf, but I wouldn't want to play it three times a week for 50 weeks. You get bored. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people can't quit, right? You see athletes, business people, they can't give it up. Well, I mean, Tom Brady should retire. Well, athletes are, of but. course, half the age, and they still struggle with retirement. Brady, I'm sure, is not going to retire. Me neither. Because yeah. he's a physical fitness guy. And, you know, even though he's going to be 40, I've read that he thinks he can play till he's 45. Yeah. And uh, uh, George Blanda, who used to, you know, play for the Raiders, uh, although he didn't play QB, he kicked field goals when he was 50. Mm -hmm. Wow. 50. Wow. Um, Gordy Howe played ice hockey with his two sons at the same time on the same team. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, back to Generation Talks for a second. Yes. Tell me about the model a little bit. I, I think I'm pretty squarely in the demographic. I'm almost 30, male. Uh, I never get dressed up. I pride myself on my casualness. Why is a tuxedo business going to win? Well, it wins because uh, when you get invited to weddings and you're a groomsman, uh, that has created a staggering tuxedo rental business. The numbers in the United States are there are about 1 million tuxedos sold a year and about 10 million rented a year. Wow. And the reason why there are 10 million rented is not because of proms or dinner parties, but because of wedding. Yeah, I mean, I think the wedding industry is so ingrained in kind of the old world planning kind of mechanism that people assume, oh, well, there's a process here and I'm gonna plunk down a bunch of money and there's a process, right? They don't realize there's a better option out there. Have you been a groomsman yet? I have, yeah, a couple of times. So you you know about the experience. It's a pain of, in the ass is what it is. And, and, you know, of course, one of the interesting things about the wedding business from the, uh, uh, tuxedo rental side is that the bride and the groom aren't paying for the product. Mm -hmm. So you're selling slash renting right. something that they know their friends are going to have to pay for, but they're not. In fact, the uh, groom gets his free. Does that make them more or less price sensitive? Less. Less. So they're cool if their parents or their parents or their friends have to pay more. As long when as I was at Men's Warehouse, the most uh, successful tuxedo we had was our most expensive. Interesting, interesting. Very For cool. that very reason. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you've started this new startup, you've started again, which you said is not about the money, you just would be bored otherwise, you gotta have something challenging. 
what does your day-to-day -day look like? I mean, how much do you spend time in front of a computer or working on generation talks? I mean, you know, take me through. Take me. Well, through I don't. Head. I don't use a computer other than my phone. No other computer. I don't. I have other computers, but I don't use them. And uh, people who know me now know that it's not something that I'm going to read on a, a laptop. So they better make sure it's formatted for a telephone because <laughs> that's how I'm going to read it. And if it's one of these, you know, 50 pages on a telephone, mm -hmm. then I'm likely not going to read it, period. Right, right. right. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I spend uh, all day and, uh, uh, you know, much of the weekends uh, on Generation Talks. It's not uh, doing... Uh, sort of actively doing things like uh, writing code or, or uh, uh, buying inventory. It's more supervising the people that are doing that and then trying to coordinate the overall uh, uh, meal to make sure that everything comes out uh, of the oven at the same time. And I must say, this business is very different than Men's Warehouse. Men's Warehouse was a television and radio story, and uh, this has nothing to do with television and radio. Mm. It's all social media. Ad and, spend and, and yeah. like the SEO, SEM, exactly. yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, do you interview people when they're being hired at Generation Talks? I have. I don't interview everybody, yeah. but our controller, and uh, we're headquartered in Louisville, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So our controller in Louisville, I uh, interviewed before we hired him. And uh, why Louisville? Uh, I think Louisville is, uh, and I I I believe this before we went there. It's kind of like a young Nashville, a young Atlanta, almost a young Austin or Silicon Valley. Got it. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest it's ever going to be Silicon Valley, and. I don't live there for that reason, but it's uh, it's got a emerging workforce and uh, uh, good restaurants, and it's uh, and it's a little cheaper too, right? Labor's oh my a god, cheaper, we uh, we pay uh, less than half in Louisville for what we would pay in California. Got it. Yeah, give me a sense of sort of how the business is doing. I mean, how do you measure success? Well, uh, I think the best way to measure success in online tux rental is through the number of rentals more than the uh, EBITDA. Okay. Uh, we are not yet cash flow positive, uh, but we hope to be next year. And I look at it more as the number of rentals. So uh, we'd like to rent, uh, and I know this sounds rather de minimis, relative to men's warehouse renting almost four million, but we'd like to rent about 100,000 uh, this year. But over the next five years, uh, I expect to rent hundreds of thousands and over a decade, uh, millions of not just tuxedos, but suits. And one of the ideas that we're developing is that uh, we think there may be an emerging suit rental market other than for weddings and that would mean that somebody like yourself who prides himself on being casual maybe if you could rent a suit 
selectively during the year and not make the investment mm -hmm. in the asset hanging in your closet. It, it relates to the sharing economy. For a certain party or a themed event or something yeah. like that when I, when I need it. Got it, that makes sense. Um, and are you raising money for Generation Talks? Is it all your money? How it's half and half. We've got about 50 million, half mine, half others. Got it, got it. And you think you're gonna raise some more? Yeah, I think we're gonna raise another five or 10. Okay. I'm looking at a, at a merger actually right now because okay. uh, I think consolidation is uh, a part of the trick here because it, it gives you rental revenue without corresponding overhead growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you spend a good amount of time uh, actually hands-on with the business, which is really cool to hear. Right. A lot of founders watch this show. Uh, a lot of people that are interested in getting into starting any kind of company, but particularly a cannabis business. Um, how big a part of is, is cannabis of your day-to-day -day and your, your normal life? Um, well, I would say that uh, although I might not smoke cannabis on a daily basis, I talk about it on a daily basis. So I'd say it's a pretty significant part of my life. Uh, I was at a uh, function uh, Monday night and uh, was up at uh, 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 the uh, Memorial Stadium Stadium Club and the mayor was there and you know we we chatted for 10 seconds and that's what we talked about mm. was whether or not there was uh, uh, something that we should be looking at in terms of the city of Oakland and cannabis because uh, I think that there is a chance for Oakland to, as Rich Lee said uh, uh, five years ago, become like Oaksterdam, mm -hmm. where it could become uh, where San Francisco gets the European and Asian tourists because of uh, Chinatown and its uh, unique culture. Oakland would become the Oaksterdam of the United States where, you mean the Amsterdam of the United States, correct? Yeah, and you I said called, Oaksterdam, which is an awesome place. Right, yeah. I mean Oaksterdam. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Oh, which yeah, is, I see. right, yeah. and that uh, you know tourists from around the world might want to come to uh, Magnolia as an example, which is going to open a uh, a uh, like a vape lounge. Uh, in yeah, it's a very couple cool. of months. Yeah, and I think you're going to be able to get some food there too. You know, like have I a, think, have but a it's not going to be gourmet. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snack food. Yeah, yeah, snack food. Got it. Yeah. Um, when you do consume cannabis, you said you like to smoke earlier. What do you like to smoke? How do you like to smoke? You know, what 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 kind of what kind of consumer are you? I don't uh, uh, have a strong uh, preference for strains, but I do prefer uh, uh, sativa to indica. Okay. But uh, not a hundred percent of the time. Just mostly. I'm aware of the general differences between the two. And obviously, if you're looking to just go to bed, indica's probably uh, uh, just as good as, as a sativa. Uh, and I, I actually prefer uh, old-fashioned uh, joints, but uh, if it'll combust, I'll smoke it. Got it. Do you roll a good joint? I do. Nice, nice, good stuff. Well, George, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Go check out Generation Tux. Uh, you could be on any show that you wanted to. You've been on almost every media outlet. 
So I really appreciate you coming on our little show. You didn't have to do that. And, uh, thank well, you. it's uh, what I do for Oakland, right? I mean, this is where I live. I've lived here for 35 years, and there's never been a better time in Oakland than right now. So let's not blow it. Let's not blow it. That's a good a place to end uh, as any. Thank you so much. Great to see you again, George. And thanks for, thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you next time.